Welcome to the discussion, Managing Efficiencies, Readiness, and Asset Management in DOD, sponsored by Infor. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guest today, Colonel Kerry George, the Deputy Director of Maintenance Policy and Programs for the U.S. Army. Colonel Marlon Crook, the Deputy Director for the National Guard Bureau, CIO J6 Directorate. Mark Fox, the Senior Manager for Global Defense Programs at Amazon Web Services. And Risa Savold, the Technical Director at Infor for Federal and DOD Solutions. Welcome to the program. Let me start with some context for our discussion. Let me start with some good news. Defense Department officials told Congress earlier this year that timely, adequate, predictable, and sustained funding over the last two years has significantly increased the number of brigade combat teams' readiness at the highest levels. Every military service and agency is better prepared to address threats around the world and in the United States from a people and equipment perspective. Okay, now the bad news. There's still a long way to go to ensure continued and complete success in getting people, equipment, weapons, food, and all the things that makes the military run well in place. In fact, the National Defense Strategy recognized this challenge. One of the key focus areas is to restore joint readiness. The challenge is, according to many experts, there's a shortfall of current methods for assessing readiness. This is true, especially when it comes to equipment and parts as systems are disparate and old. Data sharing is arduous and filled with dirty data. And the skills of the workforce haven't necessarily kept up with the industry best practices. On top of that, there's ever-growing concerns about supply chains, both from a manufacturing perspective and from a cybersecurity risk standpoint. So how can DOD consume information in real time to make better decisions? How can the military improve the current hub-and-spoke model that current logistics officers are currently bound by? And finally, what is the technology that can lead to increasing readiness in that joint manner that the National Defense Strategy is calling for? Well, that's where our guests come in. Once again, our guests are Colonel Kerry George, the Deputy Director of Maintenance Policy and Programs at the Army, Colonel Marlon Crook, the Deputy Director for the National Guard Bureau CIO J6 Directorate, Mark Fox, the Senior Manager for Global Defense Programs at Amazon Web Services, and Risa Savold, the Technical Director at Infor for Federal and DoD Solutions. Colonel George, let's start with you. Readiness is, is one of those topics we hear a lot about, and there's multiple kinds of readiness. There's the people, there's the equipment, there's the, the broader perspective. Let's just talk about your current state of readiness, how you view it, how are you measuring success, how do you ensure the asset, assets are in the right place at the right time for the right reasons? So, well, as a logistician, uh, several, several uh, aspects of readiness I'm very concerned about. You know, do we have the transportation assets in place? Do we have the prepositioned stocks? Uh, do we have the ability to move things around the battlefield? Do we have the ability to track, uh, track, predict, and, and affect maintenance uh, to keep our fighting forces uh, moving forward in the battle? Um, in general, we're on track. The, uh, the Army uh, stated we, we, have some, we have some stated readiness goals to achieve by 2020, and uh, as, you, as you mentioned, with the, additional, the steady funding we've been receiving, we're on track to achieve those goals for 2020. Uh, some of the things that we are, some of the ways we measure that, is we're measuring it through our exercises. We have uh, rotational forces going through Europe, so we're assessing how well can we flow those forces in, how effective are they in the exercises, and then the logistics tail, uh, are we able to deliver the equipment they need on time, and when they're done, are we able to bring that equipment back on time, reset, re, uh, refit it, and have it ready for the next deployment? And well, there are definitely some things we're learning through that process. Uh, getting in and out of Europe, especially under peacetime conditions, there are constraints that we don't anticipate that we would have in a, in a, in a true wartime scenario, but it's making us better. It's making us better at predicting our requirements. Uh, it, it's making a it, but it's also making us challenge the way, challenge ourselves and the way we assess, uh, the way we assess our readiness, which is a good thing. Um, looking to how do we go to a more predictive model of maintenance rather than uh, the legacy model where you, you bring your vehicle in every three months for an oil change, whether whether it needs it or not, every three months for a thousand miles. So now we're looking to a more a, a predictive model where the vehicle tells you the same thing our, our cars do do for us now. Um, it decreases the time, it decreases the resources required, it saves us funds. Um, and uh, when, when you talk about the predictive model, I think that's a, it's a really interesting change that, that you're getting to because I think as you, you brought up this idea of, well, it's 3,000 miles, let's bring it in and, and do all this work. That, that's, that's a huge change and, and that's, we'll get to this later, but that's playing into the, the bigger discussion. Yes. And, and maybe talk just, a little, just briefly about how you can move from that where you are today to that, you, you said goals in 2020. I imagine the predictive side of it is, is at least the beginnings there. One is starting to take, take advantage of today's technology today. Uh, so most of our vehicles are they they have built-in sensors that are that are tracking the oil life monitor. They're tracking how the vehicle's performing. So our new vehicles, as it, our view, new vehicles and new combat systems, they're being fitted with those sensors. Uh, the next step, the Army, uh, in conjunction with Army Material Command, is uh, working towards developing that condition-based maintenance model, uh, cloud-based computing, 
taking all this analytical data and starting to predict when those maintenance failures are going to happen. And it's not, not just from a maintenance standpoint, it's so that we can predict when that vehicle is going to need to be down so that we can plan around that for combat operations for training. You know, control when we're going to fix that vehicle under, under our conditions versus the force conditions. It's better to fix it in the motor pool than it is to fix it on the side of the road somewhere when you're potentially under enemy fire. All right. Colonel Crook, let's turn to you. He mentioned the, 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 that, that word cloud. Well, I'm sure we'll get more into it in a little bit. But talk sure. about from a readiness standpoint, how are you guys helping out from the National Guard Bureau? As the National Guard, we have one standard for readiness, and we pride in ourselves since the inception of the National Guard and always being ready and always being there. Um, we're a community-based organization, uh, governor-supportive. Uh, it's the their part that's uh, ever-expanding. You have the traditional domains, land, sea, air, um, but we also have now with space and cyber, that's uh, an, an expansive role that the Guard still has to uh, continue to innovate and be agile and be flexible and continue to expand their roles to always be ready, always be there. Uh, we measure those through also with exercises and staying lockstep and interoperable with our, uh, our counterparts. But we also have to do the same with our uh, private industry and our state and federal uh, partners and our local uh, responders. And we use de decision support systems like uh, sorts and DERS, which I think we'll talk about a little later. It's interesting that, that obviously when it comes to the National Guard, it's a hurricane can strike, a wildfire can strike, and you guys can be called into action immediately. So from a readiness standpoint, it, you can't have everything. It's a lot of just in time. I'm, I'm sure is, is that, the, is that sure. kind of the but, theme in but, some but, ways? But the uniqueness of the Guard, again, we're a community-based organization, so we're spread across the 54 states and territories. To be exact, we're in 2,600 communities. So as far as a military organization, we are the most uh, widely presence. Our presence is of any military organization across uh, the continental U.S. So it's, it's, it's the constant state of readiness, as you said. That, that's the big, if you will, difference with the Army versus uh, maybe where other military services is. So from a readiness standpoint, just to kind of put a, a finer point on it, because it's the constant state, does that change how you measure how you, how you look at readiness in the, in the broad terms? Yes, uh, I, I would say so, um, and that's what we're, we're constantly trying to, um, I guess, refine that because okay. you can't be everywhere at all times, <laughs> Right. but we have to be that surge, surge force, whether we're called upon in uh, our federal or non-federalized mission, uh, just like you said, for instance, for the elections. Yeah. Uh, that's hot. That, that's a hot uh, topic in the... Um, Although not a military problem, uh, Chief of our National Guard Bureau, General Ellen Gale, just spoke last week on the state of readiness and how the National Guard is able to respond for election support. Although it's not a military problem, the, each governor has some form of um, cyber support that they can lend to their state because it's a very state-centric problem um, to detect anomalies, if you will, uh, if nothing else, to, to see if there's something that we can call on, follow on services to assist. The cyber readiness piece is a whole different discussion. Maybe we'll get there a little bit later. Sure. Let me uh, bring in uh, Mark Fox from Amazon Web Services. When you talk with your clients or your customers, whether it's DOD or non-DOD, wh what is the conversation like around readiness right now? So I think the colonel's comments are consistent, right? It's, Which colonel, by the way? We have two. Uh, yeah. Colonel here. Uh, <laughs> colonel George. George, yes. So uh, the comments there are consistent, and, and you hear them across all the military departments. Uh, which is there's been an acknowledgement over the past number of years, uh, particularly on the weapon system side and uh, some very well-known instances uh, that we were not meeting the goals. We had too many aircraft, too many other systems that were down, uh, and then also challenges on the personal readiness. So we hear that as consistent. Um, we get the questions around how can industry, you know, how can folks in, in the space that we play in the cloud computing side, how can they play a role? And I think it comes back to what was mentioned in both the comments is it starts out as a data problem. You know, you've got these systems now, like you talked about, the telematics and the IoT capabilities. Almost all of these platforms um, are massive sensors and multiple sensors that are on them uh, that are creating a massive amount of data, oftentimes out at the edge in faraway places with you know, minimal connectivity and a DDL environment. Um, so you, you know, you've got to start with that data that in some cases is very far away. How is that data pulled together? Uh, and shared broadly, if that data is kept you know, just within, let's say, a BCT environment, they've got maybe some visibility into their environment, but you don't have visibility across the Army. So maybe 
Uh, you know, one team is at a very high state of readiness, another is not. You know, how can you try to balance those things out? So I think, it, you know, Jason, it really comes back to it starts with a data problem, a data collection problem, and then downstream how to deal with that data to, to get what is my current state of readiness to start to make some decisions out of that. It always comes back to the data, doesn't yeah, it? It does. That's just what it feels like. And, and Risa, from Infor's perspective, as you, again, work with government clients, same question I'll give to Mark. What, what are some of the trends? What are some of the things you're hearing? So absolutely, we also hear all about the data from our commercial customers as well as our government customers. When it comes to topics like material availability or equipment readiness, there's a common thought that simply having all that data at your fingertips is going to help us move the needle and achieve our readiness goals. And many people think that just means um, being able to aggregate that data from multiple sources and serve it up. But today, technology makes that problem relatively easy, but it's masking a much more difficult and fundamental problem. Um, data is our biggest problem and also our biggest opportunity. And historically, the problem has been, can we trust that data? Um, if we can't trust that data, we can't trust those insights, and we're not going to meet those readiness goals. So as a software provider, we invest a lot in data management and our data solutions and making those a key part of our requirements. And I'm really glad that we're talking both about our operational tempo and personnel tempo because we apply some of these same principles and technologies across all the domains. You bring up a really interesting point because one of the things that, that I've seen when I was doing some research is this dirty data idea and this concern of well, if your data is not great or if it's not supporting or if you can't get access to it. When you talk about the, the challenges, is that the one that just stands out in front of you time and again as you talk to clients? Is like, well, where's your data? Well, it's over there. Well, can you get to it? Well, maybe not today. Talk maybe through that, that challenge of the dirty data and the, and the, the, inter, the lack of interoperability. Certainly. Um, part of it is that we, there are so many different systems throughout the Department of Defense. And in joint operations, all the systems do have to work together and we have to share that data. Um, in my career, I've done a lot of systems modernizations and evaluations. And one of the first things is to actually um, take a close look at all the data. Are they even describing the same thing? Are they we using the same terminology or the same codes? And um, in data science, some 60% of the effort is actually spent cleaning up that data before we can do any analytics, develop any reports or dashboards, or even start looking at technologies like artificial intelligence. That's a great number. 60, that's probably, I would say it's probably higher, but mm. I'm not surprised. Uh, Colonel George, let's bring you back into the conversation. The data discussion comes in. Uh, you got to have the right data. Uh, what is the Army, Army NO is working on a new data strategy. That's the bigger, broader, you know, the CIO G6 folks. But talk maybe a little bit about, from your perspective, the role that data is playing in, in the readiness. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, data is, is going to drive, drive the change here. Um, one of the biggest challenges we have in the Army is that we have a lot of data and it's all on very discrete one-off systems. So not only being able to understand, make sure we're talking the same data, but can we, can we actually access all those systems? So we're moving forward in some ways. Uh, IPSA, the Integrated Pay and Personnel System, is one of the ways where we're, we're pulling in 40, des uh, 40 desperate uh, uh, pay and personnel systems into a single dashboard. Uh, as we move forward to this condition-based maintenance, uh, we'll be looking at the same thing. The data coming off of each of the platforms isn't necessarily going to be the same. And then how are we going to be able to compute at the edge to give that operator what they need on, the, on that vehicle to, to react now, the battalion the ability to react in the next 24, 48 hours, and then big army to be able to aggregate that and see what's happening total fleet and across the analysis. Um, Colonel Crook, jump in as well. Data from your perspective, are you also is, is data any better because of, of the ubiquity of the National Guard across the country, or is it is does Iowa have a different kind of data store than 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 you know uh, Tennessee? <laughs> well, that that's true. That's uh, right. Across the fifty four states and territories, we say there are fifty four different. Uh, uh, national Guards, individual National Guards. But however, uh, Chief of the National Guard Bureau's top, one of his top priorities is uh, data and getting after the data so he can look at it across the 54 for the Air National Guard and the Army National Guard. So um, we are trying to standardize um, harnessing that data and making it actionable data. So we're investing in uh, uh, Chief, data and Chief, Chief Data and Officer, Chief Technical Officer, data scientists, so we can manage that data into a joint dashboard, 
so that the uh, chief can have log stats, per stats, readiness at his fingertips on a dashboard and as far as interoperability so we can get feeds not only from the services but our, our partners uh, at, at his fingertips. Currently, what's it look like today? Is it a bunch of different dashboards? Is it a bunch of different Excel spreadsheets? A combination of yeah. everything you just said. Yes. And, and, and the and same and thing for the Army. A, yeah. a very manual process with some legacy systems. And I can only imagine a data call also is a very manual process. Sure. In a lot of cases, especially on the logistics side, we've, uh, we've, we've had various systems, but a lot of times it still comes down to that supply sergeant or that uh, supply officer down there manually inputting something in a spreadsheet that's getting aggregated and, and input into a system somewhere else. So um, if we can get to the point where we're pulling that information directly off of a system, take the human out of the loop on that and remove the human error as well as the processing time, we'll certainly be in a much better position to use that data to our advantage and turn it into information or powerful knowledge. So. Yeah. Risa, are you cringing a little bit when you hear that it's all manually Excel spreadsheets? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> but, but not in a bad way, right? I mean, just like knowing that there's a, there's a better way to do this. I think that's, that's what, what we're here for. But, but are you seeing that the people understand that there is a better way or people hug their spreadsheets still? Yes. I yes, think. To <laughs> yes to both. Yes to both. Definitely modernizing some of our information systems will help a little bit with the data problem, um, putting validation. Um, into the system as people are entering data. But I think there's always going to be a place for human operators as part of that decision cycle. All right, well, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we can talk more about that modernizing those data systems and all those disparate databases. You're listening to the panel discussion, Maximizing Efficiencies, Readiness, and Asset Management at DOD, sponsored by Infor on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Infor's Cloud Suite Readiness as a Service platform is a defense industry-specific FedRAMP solution delivering agile, scaled, lifecycle management capabilities. Infor's Readiness platform delivers the tools needed to help mitigate critical asset readiness challenges and provides the information needed to improve asset visibility, synchronization, and decision-making. Visit Infor.com slash public sector for insights on how your agency can better manage, maintain, and predict asset readiness. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Maximizing Efficiencies, Readiness, and Asset Management in DOD, sponsored by Infor on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Colonel Kerry George, Deputy Director of Maintenance Policy and Programs at the Army. Colonel Marlon Crook, the Deputy Director for the National Guard Bureau, CIO J6 Directorate. Mark Fox, the Senior Manager for Global Defense Programs at Amazon Web Services. And Risa Savold, the Technical Director at Infor for Federal and DOD Solutions. Before break, we started talking a little bit about this idea of data, and, and uh, I think uh, Colonel Crook, you brought up the fact that the National Guard Bureau is bringing in a chief data officer and really trying to get data into dashboards to have a more, if you will, holistic view. It's a, one of those buzzword bingo games I think we play is when people say that. But let me turn to uh, Mark Fox from, from Amazon for a second. Mark, talk a little bit about this idea of transformation. It's not just happening at the National Guard Bureau, it's not just happening at the Army, it's really happening across all of government. Correct, yeah, it's, it's very purple. In fact, you know, it's even on the international uh, military agencies as well. It's sort of, you know, where do you start with uh, the challenge? First is the acknowledgement that there's a problem, which we've kind of done that. The second piece is, you know, what do we do first? And there's some organizational changes that we're seeing consistently. You're seeing titles like chief data officer, chief digital officer, you know, uh, you know head of digital transformation across the board in almost every one of the, the mill depths in DOD and others. So I think, you know, that will be the first step. And in the, in the meetings that we're having with the people that are in those roles, uh, they're starting out with a very holistic view, uh, looking at some things that we talked about before, which is a combination of, uh, you know, what is the current state? What is the data? What are the data sources that are available? Uh, where are they? Uh, again, typically very siloed um, within particular weapon systems and departments. Uh, and then sort of walking through that process of once I know what and where the data is, how do I bring it back? You deal with the data cleansing challenges, the data management problems uh, that ultimately lead you to that end goal here, which I think we're going to we're going to dig into a little bit deeper here, which is you have to have that information, that historical data, to ever get to the point to be predictive, to ever be able to do machine learning and artificial intelligence. So, you know, I, I see that there's an acknowledgement, the positions are being filled, and we're heading down the right path. Do you think that this is much different than it was three, five, seven years ago? Because we've been talking about electronic government, I love that term oh, yeah. still, for you know the better part of you know 20 years almost, and. It's, it, it, there was a recognition of we need, you know, if you remember the three clicks to service, which was the, you know, from the early days of the Bush administration and, and the Obama administration had, had a digital strategy. So we, we've seen this building up. Do you think this is what it's, it's basically coming to a head? 
I do, and I would say the evidence of that is if, if we look outside into the commercial world, you know, um, the IT capabilities that are there today, uh, these enabling technologies, uh, I think have crossed that threshold from being able to do effective analytics within a unit level, that they could handle that in the past, that we now have the ability to, A, ingest and move. The networks continue to get better and bigger. They'll always need to get bigger. I'm sure the gentleman here would always want more bandwidth from the edge. Um, but that ability to bring it in, uh, to put these things beyond just the traditional data warehouses uh, and move them into things like data lakes, which again become a precursor to start to do that predictive artificial intelligence machine learning. So I do think we crossed a threshold. Colonel Crook, jump in as well, because uh, there's the big DoD transformation strategy. You guys are, are, are following that in, to a certain extent, right? Sure, and, and also being the National Guard, we have this uh, uh, unique status where we actually have our traditional guardsmen in their day-to-day -day life that are actually embedded in, in private industry. So where the chief is big on leveraging partnerships, so they bring that back into our services in our day-to-day, -day, like this is what they're seeing new. And, and the chief is big on innovation and incorporating that. And he's also um, the National Guard, uh, along with his services, are fully uh, supporting the, the Department of Defense Chief Information Officers um, digital modernization strategy, which also supports the National Defense Strategy and uh, the CIO's four priorities of cloud, artificial intelligence, cyber, and C3, which is command, control, and communications. So with that, it's going to improve the National Guard's uh, ability um, for data, supporting data, and their response uh, with increased reliability, performance, ability to rapidly adapt to changing environments. So we're trying to stay current, we're trying to stay innovative, and we do that, one, with our unique status, with our folks embedded in industry, and with leveraging partnerships. Yeah, and it's the, the, the embedded industry piece, which is something that you know, Colonel and I were even talking beforehand that he and I had crossed paths before in his involvement in programs like SecDef Corporate Fellows, mm -hmm. uh, where I think DOD's continues to do a better job of bringing folks into large commercial organizations, seeing what is the realm of the possible, uh, and then bringing that back, whether they're you know soldier citizens on the guard side or active duty folks who will spend in some cases up to a year inside of you know commercial organizations and bring that back uh, when they're in uniform again. And in fact, I think there's a program that DOD is just kicking off to have that industry exchange as well. So they, they really see the value in that. And I think that plays into what uh, Colonel Crook was saying about the people who have a real job, so to speak, in, in, in the private sector and then do their, their reservist time as well. This push to this CDO, this, this idea of understanding the digital transformation, I, I think that's been enabled. The underneath reason is the cloud. And we talked a little bit about the cloud, I think. Colonel George, you brought up this idea of moving like the, the CBM the, the, to the cloud. You talked about some other things. Let's start there w without getting into the bits and bytes on your end, but w what does that mean to you? Why, why is the cloud changing the way you look at logistics? It, it takes a, it, it raises it above the tactical level. So as mentioned earlier, BCTs and know what's going on with their formation, but the Army doesn't necessarily see what's happening across the entire fleet. Uh, is, is it a systemic problem? that's happening with the weapons system needs to be addressed across the Army, um, or are there conditions that, that are changing that we need to re re review how we're maintaining that equipment. Uh, the, the cloud gives us that ability to you know, see across the entire Army, not just, the, not just the, what's inside your formation, that, that reports is coming up on that individual commander's dashboard. Um, as, as our data repositories uh, grow, mature, we start getting the, the data that, that really helps us start making truly informed decisions. Um, tracking everything down to the serialized or the, the batch number of a part. So rather than putting out a, a maintenance message that said, okay, everybody check your 50 caliber machine gun to see if this piece has a crack. <laughs> well, now you go, okay, these serial numbers of 50 cals need to be checked because we're able to track the, we'd be able to track those parts down to the discrete, down to the discrete part uh, that there's a problem with because we know the batch, we know the weapons they went into. Uh, tracking those life cycle changes and uh, all the way from, from inception all the way to, to disposition services at the end. I heard a great example just recently about the Air Force and the challenge they had with uh, if a plane needed a new part, there was something like 15 or 16 different systems they had to check and then also jump into whether it's UPS or FedEx or, or the Postal Service to send the part. And I think there was a big goal, it's very similar to what you think you're describing with the 50 caliber machine gun is, is can we just know where the part exists and can we just move the part very quickly? I think that's, that's just the 
probably the, the nirvana in some ways. Yeah, and I think what I'm really hoping to see out of it, and I think what DOD would like to see is helping us and help us make those decisions. What is that next best action? Uh, tell us, is it UPS, FedEx, or, uh, or DHL? What, what is the best way to get this here rather than than going into each of those systems and saying, okay, this is going to get here Monday, this is going to get here Tuesday, this is going to get here Friday. Tell us which one's the best. Don't don't make us do the do the research. Figure it out, figure it out, and give us a, you know, point us in the right direction. All right, Mark, I gotta bring you in on this. You know, yeah, we're talking cloud. I mean, AWS <laughs> invented the cloud. All right, I won't go there. But talk a little bit about the, this, just where the cloud fits into this broader discussion too. Yeah, I mean, I think listening to what the colonel's talking about there, in my mind, uh, I immediately go to you know the e-commerce side of big Amazon. Uh, and you know, we're fortunate that it's one large homogeneous organization. Um, and what we're able to do is exactly what the Nirvana is, which is we generally know where every uh, product is, which warehouse it's in, down to the bin that it's in, um, to you know, automatically when that order comes in, Jason, if you order something and it's prime, um, it's going to determine is the best way, us, UPS, you know, postal service, so uh, the good part is that the proof there on the commercial side is there. Now the challenge is how do you bridge that gap into you know, the military organizations? It's, it's not that easy, um, but the fact is that it, that it can be done. And, and cloud is really the enabler that is under the covers of that. Because again, I, I go back to those sort of those basic tenets of it, which is that ability to uh, ingest the massive amounts of data process, which is really the challenge here. You know, when that question comes in, sort of you know, your 50 cal part, which is okay, who ordered them, when did they order them, where did they go, where are they now, uh, you know, and then ultimately if it needs to be replaced, automatically determining what's the best method of shipping. So, you know, I, again, I think people that are in uniform see because they go home and they're using capabilities, you know, online e-commerce and they see the realm of the possible, how do we bridge the gap between what we're able to do in commercial and bring those things into the military. All right, just promise me it's not going to have, if you fix this 50 caliber machine gun, you may also want to fix your M16. It's not going to be like that, right? <laughs> Let's hope not. I hope not. Risa, jump into the conversation, because when we talk technology, talk cloud a little bit, that's leading us down a, a path as well, not just to, hey, we'll put everything in the cloud, but the, the tools, the data analytics, everything that sits on top of the cloud. Are you starting to see that from government and, and other customers that, hey, we're dis they're discovering the, the, the art of what the possible? Absolutely, I think digital transformation is now a much more exciting topic than it used to be. In government, the original drivers are to reduce cost, um, improve cybersecurity, modernize um, and I, newer IT architectures, come up with user interfaces that are e uh, easier to use, more attractive to our younger service members. But really, I think it's setting a foundation for these emerging technologies that will really accelerate capability for us. And those include artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, robotic process automation. Um, but those technologies are all pointing towards the same thing. They're all pointing towards automation. And to really integrate that into our business processes, whether it's logistics or maintenance, you really have to trust that system, what it's doing, what kinds of decisions it's making for you. And, and that goes back to the data problem again. Yeah, jumping. So that's been one of our challenges uh, in logistics since the beginning of time. You know, we, for a while, we wanted we wanted to get to just-in-time logistics, and it really came down to we didn't have a trust in the system. We didn't have a trust in the process. So a commander didn't think something was coming fast enough, so they would override or they would order another one just to make sure it got there. So as we start developing that trust and that confidence, and we see data actually working and delivering things when and where it's supposed to be. Uh, we'll start seeing some culture shifts. Um, you know, and then the, helping us make those decisions, like uh, the Army's undertaking um, additive manufacturing, uh, as most of the services are. So how do we use that, and how do we, how do we use the data to determine what, whether it's best to make that piece or whether it's best to buy that piece? Uh, whether the cost factors, the shipping time, uh, the availability, do we have a, a mature supply system? Um, but without that data helping us make those decisions, the default is order it, order it again, override, anything to get it here faster for me without the impacts of understanding what it does to the broader logistics enterprise. Eric, Colonel Kirk? So as it pertains to the National Guard, um, the American public, our mission partners, FEMA, state and local, um, uh, our mission partners depend readily on the Guard and their rapid response. So advancements in AI and, and cloud computing provide that connective tissue that will enhance our, our, our time of response across the 54 states and territories. Um, a real life example, uh, the California wildfires, uh, a big thing, it's 
becoming, a, unfortunately, a, a reoccurring uh, occurrence. Um, the California National Guard um, is piloting uh, a, an AI-enhanced solution that helps with fireline detection and uh, digital imagery. That, that's actually really interesting because uh, it's, it's those pilots, and that was actually my next question. Are we seeing some pilots? Uh, maybe Colonel George, since uh, Colonel Crook gave us one of his examples, um, is there a pilot somewhere you can talk to? So there's a pilot that I'm, I'm working on, um, hasn't started yet, uh, working on getting the approval and the funding for it, but how we modernize our, how we deliver our clothing bag items to our, our trainees, uh, and it's very much going to be cloud-based, data-driven. Data uh, so in our current process, a trainee comes into the Army, and they spend about two days out of their eight, eight weeks of basic training uh, being issued uniforms. They'll get some issued the first night, they'll get more, more pieces issued the next day, and then they'll get their service uniforms issued a little bit closer to graduation. But that adds up to about two days worth of time. Time, money, resources. Uh, so we're looking at how can we connect the data that recruit, you know, their information, their sizing at, at MEPS using an automated sizing technology or manual sizing, c connecting their, their sizing and when they're going to actually arrive and where they're going to arrive. So instead of having these large warehouses of, uh, of equipment at each of our installations just in case, it starts being fulfilled at, from a national level, um, arriving 24 hours uh, before, before the recruit does. They show up, get everything at one time. We give two, two days worth of training time back to the Army to, to focus on our on potentially uh, higher priorities. So. It's, it seems so simple, but there's so much that goes into it because otherwise yeah. it's all being handwritten, you walk in, you say, okay, how tall are you? What's yep. your waist size? Let's measure you. Then all the data is going to be put somewhere. And then yeah. it, it's that, it, that, that's the time you're talking to. If you could automate that, as, as Risa said, that just makes things happen more quickly and then you get that training days back. Absolutely. I've spent the last two weeks traveling to three out of the four basic training locations and nuanced differences in each location. And the, their processes are very, they're efficient for what they have, the location, the facilities, and the time they're given and the resources. Um, but each one of them slightly different. So how do we pull those those three or four different processes into a single one, um, and then and make that shift and that that uh, mentality to where they have the trust that when this when their sizes are taken to the basic training, they're validated up until the day they ship. That when they pick up their bag, everything's going to fit. Uh, because part of that is if I stop and have to try everything on again, <laughs> well, I've, I'm taking that time back that I intended to save. Um, but it comes with confidence, it comes with building, sometimes running the models, the demonstrations, running parallel processes to, to say, I'm predicting you're going to be this size, and when you actually get issued, huh, I predicted that that was the size they were going to tell you. Yeah, do that enough times, and there will be confidence in the system. And, and I think that's key. Risa, one of the big things I imagine that you see when you talk to customers is that confidence. Start small, let's pr do proof of concept, prove it works, and then we can move on. Is that the conversation you're having with, with customers? Absolutely. We love collaborating with the government. Um, one of the interesting things that we've been doing a lot are these other transaction authorities, these other partnerships to do pilots and prototypes with the DOD. Um, another thing that is really important to us is something Colonel Crook mentioned earlier was that need for both flexibility and agility. So as a software provider with a custom software solution, you're getting the ultimate flexibility. Theoretically, we tell computers what to do, but that's not going to be particularly agile. Um, if a new requirement comes up or you want to change your business process, that can take a lot of time to change your software. And you're, there's a greater possibility that you'll introduce errors with that new source code. So we put a lot of effort into systems that focus on configuration, not customization, to accelerate capability for you. I think that's a great point, configuration not not being so prescriptive to, to be able to be change, be able to change and have that flexibility. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. You're listening to the panel discussion: maximizing efficiencies, readiness, and asset management in DoD. Sponsored by Infor on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Infor's Cloud Suite Readiness as a Service platform is a defense industry-specific FedRAMP solution delivering agile, scaled lifecycle management capabilities. Infor's readiness platform delivers the tools needed to help mitigate critical asset readiness challenges and provides the information needed to improve asset visibility, synchronization, and decision-making. Visit Infor.com slash public sector for insights on how your agency can better manage, maintain, and predict asset readiness. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Maximizing Efficiencies, Readiness, and Asset Management in DoD, sponsored by Infor on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Colonel Kerry George, the Deputy Director of Maintenance Policy and Programs at the Army. Colonel Marlon Crook, the Deputy Director for the National Guard Bureau for CIO J6 Directorate. Mark Fox, 
the Senior Manager for Global Defense Programs at Amazon Web Services, and Risa Savold, the Technical Director at Infor for Federal and DoD Solutions. During the last segment, we were talking a lot about the cloud and AI and all the tools that come with it and the excitement and, and really the expectations around it. Obviously, it's not just a light switch. We've heard that before. No technology, you just turn on and go. So there's a, there's a preparation. We've talked a lot about data, but there's other pieces and parts. Maybe, Mark, jump in here and lead us off with uh, how can agencies, how can the DOD kind of prepare for those tools? Because if they start using tools they're not prepared for, people get frustrated and, and stop using them. Right, yeah, I, I think the acknowledgement that it isn't just a silver bullet, push the button, we're going to do it. Uh, there's a significant amount of upfront preparation. Uh, even down to the to the point of what the data scientists are doing with the information, but it, it will typically start, Jason, with that old "let's start from the customer" um, and let's work backwards from there. What is the problem that we're trying to solve first? Uh, what are the big rocks that need to be uh, addressed? And then, what data do we have today? So, if the problem is around, uh, let's say, an army vehicle, uh, is that vehicle outfitted with telematics? Does it have sensors today? Is it capturing data in a manual way? What's there? Um, that data needs to be brought in. Uh, and then that really allows you to start, to kickstart uh, that machine learning AI process. Again, back to the, the same consistent theme here that without that data, uh, the panacea of what ML and AI could deliver is not going to happen. So I think it's that start with the problem, the customer, work backwards from there, and then uh, you know, start the process and, and pick the tools that are necessary. At, and the other part that I think we're going to talk about here is, is the people challenge around this as well. Right. And, and Colonel George, let me bring you into that because I think starting with the problem, how often when you talk with logistics officers and logistics people and even you know brigade combat teams, they understand what the problem is. No, no, we just need the uniforms here more quickly. Well, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Do, are you having that conversation? We do, and actually starting about the time where you know, talent management-wise, about the time we're majors, so we go to the media <laughs> level education, they, they kind of shift our mind to, instead of fixing the problem, identifying the problem. Yeah. And uh, it, that's, that's a significant, sometimes a significant time investment. Um, you know, mentioned the pilot that I'm, that I'm working on for this uh, clothing bag. And this, this is a problem, a problem they've been working on to identify and shape, the, shape and frame the problem for going on two years now. Um, and then, it seems so simple too, doesn't it? It does. What clothes do you need on the first what clothes day? Do you need when do you need them? <laughs> uh, but what, what is the real problem that we're trying to solve? Is it that we're trying to save money? Is it is it that we're trying to save time? If we save time, what are you going to do with the time? Um, so framing that problem took took a significant amount of time. We we knew we wanted we knew there was a better way to do it. But what is the problem that we're really trying to solve out of this? Um, Colonel Crook, do you have this similar conversations with, with, if you will, your customers when you talk to other people in the National Guard Bureau? What, what, do you start with that question? What are we trying to do here? Or versus, hey, if we have this AI, I'll just throw, throw the AI into it. It'll work, right? You, you can't obviously do that. So the requirement uh, drives a solution. So usually hopefully, in, the, in the, the J3 and the operations world, they'll come to us with, with the requirement and not a solution. Most times they've seen a thing and say, we want that. And we always push them to the requirement and the re requirement will, will drive what solution uh, we provide to them. And again, that brings us back to those pilots. That, that, that's the, the efficiencies, the economy of scale the Guard gives us that we can do pilots. So we can work with our leverage our partnerships with uh, industry and we can do small pilots to see what's best. We're always working to uh, shortcut the bureaucracy, uh, shortcut the, the, the rapid acquisition but we have to stay ahead so we can uh, stay ahead with industry to meet the needs, so we can get the best of breed, so we can meet that requirement. Colonel George. I think companies like Amazon are uh, some of our biggest inspiration, but at the same time, <laughs> they are also some of, uh, they cause us a lot of problems because they make things look so easy. <laughs> uh, you know, the, 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 it's really difficult to, you know, to, to explain, okay, you got to go back and look where Amazon started, and they didn't get to where they are today by starting this six months ago. They started, you know, you know they also started with a, with a cleaner sheet of paper than the U.S. Right. Army has, right? Yeah. You, you don't have 270-odd years of uh, <laughs> baggage for, over at Amazon. At least we hope not, right? Not that long. Uh, Risa, jump in a little bit because I think, I think part of this discussion of, of getting prepared to use AI, ML, there's also, we talked a lot about the data, but there's other pieces to it as well. I mean, what, what do you, when you talk to your government customers, do they come in with the solution or do they come in with the problem? What, what's the conversation like? We definitely have customers come to us with problems, but usually the problem is very, very big. So for example, they may say, we need you to come help us optimize our inventory. And we'll have to break that down into much smaller pieces. Maybe we'll look at just 
predicting demand for a particular class of supply in a particular location, or maybe predicting items that will be back-ordered, but again, looking at just very specific items that are maybe in high demand. And we definitely see a lot of requests for building algorithms directly into our software. And so we, we choose those problems very carefully, um, definitely look, discuss those requirements um, in great detail with the customers, make sure we understand their data. And in some cases, we have been successful um, doing a pilot with a customer and then pushing that algorithm into our commercial software. But uh, it's important to know that even when an algorithm is coming out of the box like that, it should still be based on your historical data and trained on your data. We spent a lot of time on, on that data piece. And so let me take the, the opposite side of it is, okay, if, even if you have great data and you have this great technology and, and you're riding the Amazon cloud or whomever, you still have to have people who know how to use it. And maybe Colonel George, start there. Is that the next biggest challenge for you to get people to, to understand the technology, the, the power of the data, the power of the tools? It's got to be easy. Uh, if, it, if, it's, if it's not easy out of the box, uh, it's going to get set aside very quickly. We've had a lot of, a lot of technical solutions offered to us for various things. Um, and you, just, you mentioned the three clicks earlier. Uh, we all have smartphones in our pockets. And uh, we expected to be able to pick it up without any instructions, open an app, and use it. Um, but yet we still tend to develop our systems for the military that are difficult. So it's got to be easy. Um, another challenge is, is uh, you know, from the people, people side is you know, our, our growing that force within the military, um, you know, not just the, the users, but then the, the people who are really smart that can help us shape those requirements. Because we, we kind of see something that looks good, and they say, oh, I want that. But uh, actually having people that speak the language in, in the military and can help translate uh, the infantrymen on the ground saying, I want to do this, to translating that into to a true requirement that can, that can turn that data into what, we're, what we need. I think the easy piece is so important. I think people forget that, you know, when we're so used to our personal lives, oh, I want to watch TV, I'll just put on Netflix and there's you know, a thousand things I can watch, or uh, the, the iPhone example is a great one, right? I can just bring up an app and, and do it. Do you see that because as you have um, younger recruits and, and the, the, the millennials and are starting to kind of move into that middle tier of, of the Army, that they're pushing that, that those changes, or are, you know, older people like us still, you know, stomping our foot? And even though we're basically, I would call us digital natives from, you know, Generation Xers. Yes, uh, yeah, we. I, I am starting to see a cultural shift. Uh, you know, I I was probably part of the first generation where we had computers in every orderly room, but it was two or three. And, <laughs> you know, it was the commander, the first sergeant, maybe the training clerk that had a computer. Uh, now we've moved a lot of our training to digital and online enabled. We haven't necessarily always caught up with having the the hardware necessary to or the devices necessary for, to enable that, but. Uh, uh, we're seeing that though our recruits are smarter there when it comes to using that technology. Um, they, they want it. I mean, it's, it, it, we're, we're, when we see these recruits come in, uh, that, that, that first experience when they're able to order something off of any of our online retailers and have it show up within 24, 48 hours, and they show up you know, show up to a basic training, and it takes them a series of weeks to actually get all the uniforms they need, going in physically getting size, even though they've gone online, their their programs online they can use to order all their clothes. It's got to be a disappointment. You know, yeah. we're supposed to be the uh, we're supposed to be the premier fighting force in the world, and we just took you back a generation when you show up, showed up the first day of basic training. So. And Colonel Kirk also yeah. jump into that discussion because the workforce side, you you deal with it from both angles, right? You have uh, the reservists who bring all this tech, great uh, uh, understanding and technology and, and expectations from from their uh, private sector world, but then you also have the career reserve, the career national guard, who like yourself, who you know, you have expectations and you have you have things that you want to get done as well from a technology perspective. Yeah, I was listening to my uh, counterpart and saying we have the same, we have those same concerns as our, our active counterparts, uh, compounded a bit because we do have folks in an uh, in industry that uh, make a heck of a lot of money. <laughs> and when we put them on uh, long uh, deployments, most times they do it for a love of God and country because they lose a substantial amount when they come to the guard. So we're rethinking um, from the beginning, how we recruit talent, um, even to how we uh, test them and train them. Our, uh, our peers, our competitors, uh, don't have the same uh, stance when it comes to uh, recruiting into the techn technological fields. Um, you have to be seven, 17 and a half with your parents' signature. You go through basic training, some follow-on training, then maybe some advanced schools. 
So that's a long tail when you think about getting somebody in from 17 until fully trained, where uh, other folks may come in uh, in, in different countries and have a, a cyber rodeo, a capture the flag deal, and next thing you know, you're on the team, right? Um, we have to rethink uh, how we uh, train, how do we assess physical fitness for a, a cyber professional that can deliver kinetic effects from a chair? Do they need to be strong enough to drag a, a person off the battlefield? What are we, what are we really testing here? So th these are things that we're considering, uh, as well as recruiting and retention. How do we keep that traditional guardsman uh, and, and that traditional uh, role when they can go to industry and make a lot more? So th these are things we're, we're currently working on uh, right now to tackle, to shape our future force. Let me bring in Mark and Arisa because what they're saying is, we need different things from industry. We need th that make it easy. So how, how do you all take what they're saying and say, okay, how do, we, how do you bring that back to your developers and people to say, okay, if this is too complicated, no one's going to buy it, no one's going to use it. Maybe Mark, start off? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, again, we go back to that piece, which is that's the way that it works, which is, you know, we, we want to hear from, in, from the customers in this case, and, and that is what typically is going to drive both of what we build and develop. The interesting part is there is an inverse relationship between ease, simplicity <laughs> that Gen Y, Gen Z has, which is at expectations, it's one or two clicks away. The more easy it is on the front end, typically the more complex it is on the back end on the development side. Um, so there needs to be an acknowledgement uh, of that piece. Uh, again, the capabilities, that's the, the challenging part to your folks that go off uh, in a suit and tie on some days of the week and come back in uniform on the others is that there's probably a level of frustration that they have but hopefully that frustration can be turned into and drive some of the requirements and, and move you know, the guard f further. Um, and again, on the, on the active duty side of the house, uh, it, it, it has an impact on recruitment and retention. You know, if these folks coming in, come in and have that frustration and it takes them two days to get a uniform and it's the wrong size and they send it back, it takes a week to get it back, um, you know, that's a challenge. And, and to your point, sir, it's, you know, it isn't all just about money, um, but if the experience is frustrating there, and getting their hands on the technology they're used to, um, then the only thing left is money, and obviously industry is going to be at an advantage there. And Risa, jump in on the same question around how do you take back what they're saying to, to ensure that Infor and, and your other partners are, are kind of understanding that if it's not easy, it's not going to get used. Yeah, so we address that in a couple ways. We actually have an internal design agency that focuses on user experience, and we send them out to customers, actually talk with end users about what works and what doesn't. And it's not just making the software look pretty, it's about making it more intuitive. So they need less training, or as they're using it, they can kind of figure it out. We download apps on our phones all the time, and somehow we just know how to use them without reading a manual. Um, but we also bring technology into this. And there's technology out there today for low-code or no-code platforms. Instead of writing software code, you can drag these widgets around on the screen, and what you see is what you get in that end software um, that you get out of that. Um, even when it comes to machine learning, we've invested in a platform that is drag and drop. Those data scientists are very hard to come by. Right. If you select your problem very carefully, you can actually build a machine learning model with very little technical expertise. Which I think is great because you're going to have people who are coming with, whether it's Army or National Guard, with a lot of technical expertise, but maybe not in this area where they're, like, I, like you know, the best example I always joke about is I never read a manual to install my VCR. That's a VCR for, for people who are listening. That's the thing you put the tape in. And, anyways, but, uh, but it was, for my parents, it was always like, how do you, what, what button works and what cable works? And it's like, okay, mom, I got it, right? Uh, we're almost out of time before I let you guys go. We uh, just want to kind of sum up what we've been talking about here today. Let me start with Colonel George a little bit. The, 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 this idea of readiness, it's changing. The, the way you get to better readiness is changing. Where are we heading? You know, what, what's your hope that you know, if we have this conversation again in a year from now and three years from now, what's gonna, how is it going to look differently? That we're moving away from manual processes. Uh, I think somebody mentioned DERS earlier, the Defense Readiness Reporting System. Right now, at the top end, it's aggregating a lot of data, but at the very bottom end, it's very manual input. Uh, so if I, don't, if I don't go out and start up my Humvee that day, and it worked last week, I assume it worked this week, so it's still ready. Uh, moving to a process more where the, it's pulling from the sensors and is constantly updating the readiness on that platform, so it gives us a true sense of our readiness, not just a you know, garbage in, garbage out, uh, or good data in, good data out. 
philosophies. And then obviously decisions that come from that right. data. And then being able to drive those decisions rapidly, uh, save cost, time, uh, resources. And Colonel Crook, same question. Where do where you see this uh, discussion going in you know, a year, three years from now? Um, similarly, we're, we're going to, the National Guard is using uh, big data as well as AI and cloud computing to enhance our response time to our, to our mission partners, our state and, state and local mission partners. Um, we're looking to innovate some of our, our legacy systems to shorten that decision-making time to make us uh, have better com command and control so we can make decisions. But we're keeping the human in the process. We're, we're rolling that in uh, to, to capitalize on the successes that we've done as the, we pride ourselves on the nation's defense force. But it's going to make us better at doing what we've, we've been doing. All right, and that's the key. Become better, make better decisions, be, be more ready. All right. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. So first of all, let me thank my guests. Colonel Kerry George, the Deputy Director of Maintenance Policy and Programs for the U.S. Army. Colonel Marlon Crook, the Deputy Director of the National Guard Bureau, CIO J6 Directorate. Mark Fox, the Senior Manager for Global Defense Programs at Amazon Web Services. And Risa Savold, the Technical Director at Infor for Federal and DOD Solutions. Thank you so much for your time today. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the panel discussion, Maximizing Efficiencies, Readiness, and Asset Management in DOD, sponsored by Infor on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Infor. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Maximizing Efficiencies, Readiness, and Asset Management in DOD sponsored by Infor on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Infor's Cloud Suite Readiness as a Service platform is a defense industry-specific FedRAMP solution delivering agile, scaled, lifecycle management capabilities. Infor's Readiness platform delivers the tools needed to help mitigate critical asset readiness challenges and provides the information needed to improve asset visibility, synchronization, and decision-making. Visit Infor.com slash public sector for insights on how your agency can better manage, maintain, and predict asset readiness.